Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 129. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the Dose of Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Hey, before we start with the interview, I wanted to ask you, are you looking for a leadership coach? Have you ever thought about leadership coaching? Here's your chance. I'm offering free 15-minute consultations, and if you're interested you can send me an email at richard at and just put in the subject line coaching and uh, we'll set up a free 15-minute engagement to see if coaching would be a good fit for you. I specialize in helping um, especially business owners and executives, but it can be any type of individual, any type of professional, any, any of you out there who are searching for greater significance, confidence, and leadership accountability in all aspects of your lives. I think some of the biggest problems that I see that people are facing out there are stagnation and mediocrity in their personal and professional life. We're all searching for greater significance, a limiting self-belief, a self-image, and a lack of confidence that's preventing us from living out our convictions. Again, a free 15-minute consultation. Just send me an email with your info, and in the subject line, put uh, coaching. And uh, again, it's at richard at doseofleadership.com. Again, thanks for tuning in, and here's the interview. What a thrill it is for me to have Becky Halstead on the show today. She's a retired Brigadier General, and she founded her own leadership consultancy company called Steadfast Leadership, and that was following 27 years of service in the U.S. Army and one year as the Executive Director for Leader Development with Previous Group Incorporated. She specializes in inspirational and motivational speaking, developing leader training programs, leader coaching, and mentoring, and she's the author of a brand new book called 24-7, The First Person you must lead is you. Some of her significant achievements, she was honored to be selected to attend West Point in 1977, entering with the second class of women and being the first kid from her hometown to graduate from West Point. And she was blessed to be the first female graduate of West Point to be promoted to general officer in 2004. She served in command and in combat as the first female commanding general at the strategic level of leadership in Iraq, leading 20,000 soldiers and 5,000 civilians from 2005 to 2006, which was a first for our Army and our nation. In 2007, she received the National Women's History Project Award for Generations of Women Moving History Forward. Becky, what an honor to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Well, thank you for inviting me to be here with you today because I I find these conversations um, exhilarating, so I'm really happy to be here, Richard. Thank you for the invite. Well, it's so fun to talk to uh, particularly um, former uh, military members, and it's always fun to talk to really at the at the high level. Obviously, I did ten years, made it to the field grade level, but all the way up to the top at general levels. How did it all start with you? Go back. We told I, t- I talked hit a, a great a couple great high points in the bio, but uh, how did it all start for you? And how did you get so passionate about leadership? Well, before I start that, please let me just say, in case it, it gets lost somewhere in these thirty minutes, thank you for your service to our nation. Okay, because you know success is a team sport and. You know, I, I, I remember well being an iron major and how important those majors are uh, in everything that we're doing on our daily operations. So thank you for your service, okay? Well, thank you very much. Yes. So, well, you know, the way it all got started for me, I was in uh, a junior in high school. My mother was reading in the newspaper that they were opening up the military academies to women. And so that was 1976. And as she's reading the article, uh, she says, 
this sounds just like you. And I looked around the room, and my brother was not present. My two sisters were not present. It was just me. I said, Mom, that sounds just like me. What are you talking about? Because, like, where have you been through my whole high school? I'm going to go to Ithaca College. I'm going to be a physical education teacher and a coach. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to live in the gym. Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, I'm five foot one and a half. Um, I just think I'm tall. <laughs> and But I, when you come from a town, a you know, country town with no traffic lights, you can be a star athlete because all you have to do is show up. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I wanted to do. And my mother, we call her the Renaissance mom because, you know, what mother in 1976 is pushing their daughter, you know, to go into the military, let alone an academy. So I made a deal with her that if she would help me write the letters and, you know, go through the whole process of, you know, writing letters to the congressmen and senators and, and, and filling out applications, that I would try. And as I read more and more about the academies, I was feeling pretty good that my dream of going to Ithaca College would come true because I didn't think that I would ever get accepted by the academy. Wow. You know, I mean, the prerequisites were just, in my mind, too overwhelming. I, 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 was, I, was, a, I was an average kid. I, I kind of did good at most things, but I wasn't great at any one thing. Uh, so, so I was a bit surprised. And then in March of my senior year, I received my acceptance letter from West Point, and really within about 60 seconds, I went from being the most surprised I've ever been in my life, having no feeling in my arms or legs, <laughs> totally excited to scared to death. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, but I did, you know, I, I did feel like, you know, God would not give me this opportunity if it wasn't a door that was meant to be open for me. And so I thought, well, how can I not, how can I not accept this? You know, I need to at least try. And so I off to West Point. I went in the summer of 1977. That's so awesome. Second women. That must have been, you know, and of course, you, you know, as the father of four daughters, I'm, I'm always, I love showing examples of, um, you know, women who are on the, the kind of the cutting edge of doing something unique. There you were on the the front lines at West Point. Talk to me about some of the difficulties, some of the surprises, and maybe some of the, the difficulties it was of, of being in that that uh, that early stages of that. Well, I think one of the surprises, a little bit, even though I'd read a lot about West Point, is your last day of of, of high school and and being at home. Now, I grew up in New York, so our last day of graduation was, you know, like the last Saturday of June. And I had to report to West Point the 3rd of July. Wow. So, you know, there was only like three or four days, you know, between the two. So I didn't have much time to get cold feet. But you're kind of your highest day in your life at that point at 18 is your graduation day. Right. Um, however, your lowest day in your life becomes that first day at West Point because, yeah. you know, it, it is, anybody that's been to boot camp knows that. I mean, it's like, are you serious? I mean, they're, they just, they are slowly taking away, or actually not even slowly, within that first day, they are taking away the identity that you really knew mm-hmm. and starting to rebuild it. And I think that's a good thing in hindsight, but it's, it's pretty miserable to go through. Right. Um, and, and I also felt very inadequate. You know, when I, the night, the night before the first day, I stayed at the hotel fair on the dormitory side with three other women who were going to be going into the same class with me. And as I listened to them, I was like, I, this is, I'm out of my league. You know, this is, I'm in the wrong place. So much so that I went to my parents the next morning and said, Hey, we're out of here. I, mm. this, I, this was a bad decision. I, I'm not going to West Point. And my mother was shocked. I mean, she was like, 
well, you can't quit. I said, well, officially, I haven't started, so it's not really like quitting. <laughs> because my parents always said, two rules to life. Rule number one, don't quit. Rule number two, refer back to rule number one. Right. So my mom said, let's just drive around West Point, you know, and, and, and let's just really think through this. This is too big of an opportunity for you to, to just throw in the towel. So, of course, obviously that happened. And then when we were in the, in the, in the football stadium, they, they have this big separation of, okay, new cadets, look to your left, look to your right. Three out of every four of you will be gone by graduation day. Wow. You know, and you go like, oh, my gosh, am I the one that's going to be gone or are they going to be gone? And so, and then they say, you know, new cadets to your left, parents to your right, and you, and you leave. Now, that whole first year, you really only see your family if they're close enough to visit, you might see them a couple of times in the fall at football games. You get a few hours of uh, freedom, um, and then you see them in the, 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 the Christmas holiday. And that's it for the first year. And, I mean, those are the days of pay phones, right? Stay right. in line at a pay phone, and maybe you'll get a chance to get on the phone for 10 minutes. So, so you really lose contact, you know, with your family and your friends. And it can be a bit lonely, especially in my case. You know, those things are so important to me. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a rude awakening. So a surprise for me was, you know, this is supposed to be such a big deal, and big accomplishment to get there, but then they're, you know, they're not welcoming you with open arms. Matter of fact, from day one, minute one, they're trying to actually run you out. Right. Uh, you know, so that seems kind of, um, kind of like a paradox, right? Uh, but, but they're trying to separate, you know, the strong from the weak. Right. And we only want the strong to stay so that they are you know, officers of character and confidence and, you know, commitment and compassion when they graduate in order to lead America's sons and daughters in peace and war. So I understand the process, but it was very difficult. So it was a surprise to me that it was so brutal. It was a surprise to me that I succeeded, because if you ask any of my high school friends, they all had votes on, you know, would I last a day, a week, a month? Actually, none of them thought that I would actually make it all the way through. At what point did it really start to turn around for you? You said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting this. This is kind of my groove. This is my thing. Um, when did that start to happen? Graduation day. <laughs> Graduation day. <laughs> you know, really, I don't think I ever, I, I knew emotionally that, I, that this was where I was supposed to be, okay? I love discipline. Uh, I love wearing the uniform. I, I, I loved my, you know, the team that I was on. But I never felt confident that this was actually going to happen. You know, I struggled with academics. I, you know, I love playing sports. But let, let me tell you, when you go to a place like West Point, um, you can be star athlete at home. And, and, you know, I became a manager at West Point, right, handing out towels and, and water bottles. So you talk about a fall from grace, you know. Uh, although I have to tell you that being a manager for women's basketball, women's swimming, taught me a lot about serving others, a lot about selfless service, a lot about yeah. being humbled. And, and, and I now, you know, speak in the corporate sector and the academia sector. And last year I had two different speaking events where I spoke to NCAA, um, all women's basketball coaches. And I told them if I could be queen for a day, I would make every star player be a manager for a year. Because I think if you want to learn about leadership, you know, it kind of goes back to, you, you know, you need to be able to follow and serve others first. Mm. And oh, and they they liked the idea, but of course they would never do it, right? Because they want to win games. But they got the point, and they, they got the point that they should look at their players and see, you know, who who's just throwing the towel back, or at least say thank you, or at least you know, 
appreciate what other people bring to the team. So, so I digress a little bit on that one. But since you mentioned about being a father of four, I have to share this with you. So another surprise for me was the first day you go from civilian to military at West Point. Cut your hair, put a uniform on, you teach you how to salute, try to teach you how to march, and you have your first parade at the end of the day. And as we're doing this parade, you know, I, I physically can see cadets leaving formation, right, and going into the stands. And I later learned that, you know, some of them saw their parents be lined it off the parade field, and they went home. I mean, they, like, quit day one. Wow. But much later, like maybe 20 years later or more, uh, might have even been when I found out I was, you know, going to Iraq to be a commanding general, my dad told me, he never shared this with me before, my dad told me, that the day they left West Point, so they watched the parade, Mom and Dad got in the car, and they drove home to upstate New York. As they left West Point, my dad looked over at my mother and said, do you think we should have left her there? Uh-huh. And, and, you know, and I thought, well, why did you wait so long to, ask, to tell me that, you know? But, but I think it goes to that commercial where the father throws the keys to his daughter and right. she's behind the wheel. And she's little and in what, his eyes, yeah. what Dad sees is the little girl. Yeah. Um, you know, he's still his little girl, and he's really, you know, fearful for this this part of her journey. But yet, he has to let her go. He has to let her, you know, do this. And I think, you know, for parents, it's it's got to be really tough to to let your kids grow wings and and, and do the things that they want to do. And I encourage parents to let kids follow their passion, even though it might not be your passion. You know, because. You know, they already know kind of what they want to do, and I, I, I think that takes a lot of courage, you know, on the part of a parent to do that. I agree. I think that's great advice, and, and it is. I mean, and I've got one that's about to leave the nest here in a year or so, and then uh, that's, that's kind of been – it's been kind of interesting to watch, you know, the struggles that me and my wife both have about, well, this is what she wants to do, and my wife's like, well, I don't know about that, you know, and, and it's all yeah. with good intentions. It's not about control. It's about, you know – they want, you just want the best for right, your daughter. Right. But it's, it's, it's all about wanting the best for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're, you know, and, you know, actually, and I can tie the same emotion to, you know, the whole controversy of women in combat and women being in infantry and armor. And the whole time I was in the Army, you know, I laid low on that, you know, and I laid low on having a position on it because, you know, intuitively my feeling was, look, we, everything we do in the military ought to be about standards of excellence. And if you meet the standard, you know, then you ought to be allowed to compete no matter what it is. Um, but because I personally did not want to be infantry, you know, I just said, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved with that conversation, you know, because I, I don't, I don't want to be infantry. So I'm just going to say, I'm not going to promote the thought or concept of women being infantry. And it really took until I retired and I was speaking uh, publicly in, in Manhattan. And a lady came up to me and she says, I'm really confused because you said you led in combat, that you had 20,000 soldiers under your command. And my daughter texted me and said, well, Mom, you must have that wrong because women can't be in combat. And it was at that, that was a turning point for me that said, wait a second. Um, we have such a misconception about what our women are doing in the military and how they're serving in Iraq and Afghanistan now uh, and I got to be part of making sure we change that. And just because I didn't want to be infantry doesn't mean that that's the wrong answer for our military. You know, so 
So it, 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 it kind of falls into all those things. I think that when you start looking at, you know, government and policies and everything else, um, it might not be what fits me, but, and I know when I went off to Iraq, I, I, I talked to my parents and I said, look, there's no doubt in my mind, Dad, that if you could trade places with me right now, you would trade places with me because I know your heart and your heart is like, I do not want my little girl <laughs> going to Iraq commanding this huge mission and all these people in harm's way. And I know you don't want that, but my entire military career, you have been there for all the fun things, the promotions, the parades, the, you know, the ceremonies. And you've been, you and mom have supported me every step of the way. And you can't just do that during good times. You've got to do that during bad times, you know, and challenging times. And so I have to, I have to hear from you. I have to know but if anything happens to me, that you won't turn into one of those parents that hates the government, hates the military, uh, right. and, and you know goes out there and badmouths all that, because I, I just have to know you won't do that, because I'm doing what I am prepared to do, and I am prepared because of your unconditional love and support all these years. And that was really important for me to know. Well, that's great. Well, that's obviously these stories, I mean, it's just... Uh, it's been kind of fun listening to all of these. I, lo- I love your stories, and it's obvious. You know, one of the questions I ask people all the time is, "Who's been the greatest influence in your life?" And it's obvious to me. I think it's your parents. I mean, they they set a, a great foundation for you. Am I right in that assessment? Oh, I mean, absolutely. And they're still my best friends. And and you know, because we grew up in a small, you know, town, dairy country, you know, up in New York. My my one set of grandparents, my mother's parents. My mother was an only child, and her parents they actually lived right behind us. And so, you know, and I talk about them in my book as well, because my grandfather and grandmother, you know, they came from nothing. I mean, they didn't even have their first car until my parents were already married. They, they had nothing in terms of material things, but they had everything in terms of, of values. Right. And, and I loved to listen. I would sit and just listen for hours uh, to my grandfather tell his stories about working on the railroad and and, you know, and, and my grandmother going to Canada as a 20-year-old girl and living in a rail car and, you know, doing church ministry. And so we've kind of been a family of storytellers, I guess, for a long time. And maybe I, I really inherited that from my grandparents. But, but you know, and they were so patriotic. I mean, every day, every day, my grandfather would come down to the house, get the flag, go outside, put old glory to the top of the flagpole, you know, and I would just stand there and, and, and watch or help him. And the days I wanted to quit at West Point, I can tell you that the the visual of standing there with my grandfather and raising the flag to the top of the pole, not a million year, years that I think of quitting uh, and letting him down. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wouldn't, you know. And, and for someone who had nothing, he made a point of, of being the one who bought my West Point ring. And, um, you know, so of course that has very special meaning to me because I was a huge purchase for him. And my middle name is Stevens, which is after my, my grandparents. So, you know, it's, yeah, that great foundation. And, um, you right. know, and then my coach, my coach, uh, you know, again, small town, so you can have the same coach for a lot of sports. Right. And so, uh, my coach in high school was, uh, hugely significant in my, um, uh, in my development and my passions for team sports and everything else. And she was actually killed when I was in high school. And I write about that in the book and what a, you know, just how traumatic that was for me and how I did not deal with it well. 
and you don't always know when you're going through a challenge today how you're being prepared for the future. Right. But it, it really took until I was dealing with my soldiers dying in combat and having their buddies die in combat to understand that the emotions and the devastation and everything that I felt in high school, how important it was going to be for me to help them lead themselves through it. And, um, you know, and it's, it's not easy to share, but it's important to share because we all have tragedy in our lives. You're such a great storyteller. I, I, like we were talking before the recording, I would love to uh, see you and I was, you know, some of your testimonials speak to that about how great you are at telling stories and, um, and how important. I mean, what a great foundation. What great stories. I love the story about your grandfather. I mean, yeah, no, thank you. It's, um, you know, I, I, I have a, a saying that we should never forget where we came from. Yeah. You know, it's easy to get caught up in, um, in, in, in the status of uh, a position that you're in at work or a, a particular rank, um, you know, or, you know, accomplishment of, you know, I mean, people go, oh, wow, you're an author. Yes. But I, you know, that's, that to me, that's, it's more about the stories that are in the book than who wrote, you know, than me, the author. I mean, if, right. I don't care if you remember my name, but if you remember a leadership principle in a story that helps you be a better person, that's right. gold for me, right? Yeah. That's, 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 that's where you win. And, you know, even in the service, as you know, because we're a Marine, um, you know, it's about putting the team first. Yep. And when people, like, when people find out I'm retired military, first thing they want to know is, well, you know, what did you do? What, you know, like, what rank were you? And I said, well, I was a soldier. I always introduce myself as a soldier. I, I never tell anybody I'm a general. Because the way I explain it to people is that general, that's the rank that you achieve. That's something you wear on the outside. Yeah. Like being a Marine, being a soldier, that comes from the inside. That's that's your heart and mind, you know, fused together, character and competence to to really that's that's a matter of the heart, right? That's that's really who you are. And um and I, I think it's so easy to get caught up in the status and the power and the control of things at the higher level that people forget what leadership is really supposed to be about. You know, and I leadership is about the lead. And we ought to all lead the way we want to be led. Right. And I don't, I don't know why people forget that. It's, it's a shame, really. Well, I, I think a lot of, you know, for the most people, they think, you know, leadership is about position and title, and we're always looking for that. And, and you know, position doesn't make the leader. You know, you and I know this. Most people right. know this. It's, it is about what you do, and, and that means leadership is for everyone, too. I think a lot of us, especially people who haven't been in the military, the military members get it because we, we – are trained that way that we spread the leadership responsibility all around that all of us need to think and act like leaders at every level but that's one thing i found striking especially as i went to the civilian corporate arena that and i thought and you would think it would be the opposite you would think that the the people looking outside looking at the military think it's this big command and control structure and my argument has always been i've never worked in a more caring loving creative freedom to make decisions, you know, ask for forgiveness, not permission, than the military. And I don't know if your experience was that way, but it certainly was with mine. And I found the corporate sector was more hierarchical, meaning it was about the position and title. And what are your thoughts on that? No, I totally agree. Now, I, I would say it, it's a big, it depends, you know. Like, so I had 27 years in the military, moved 18 times, and I always say I was mentored and tormented by some of the <laughs> Yeah, staff. you're actually right. Okay? Mm -hmm. so, so I would say, you know, 90, maybe 95 percent, of, of all the environments that I was in, 
I would describe exactly as how you just described them, right? Freedom of maneuver, that we train people to make decisions at the lowest possible level. You are correct in the perception by, you know, by the corporate sector that, well, how hard can it be to lead in the military? You just, you just tell everybody what to do. And I said, oh, you really think that's what we do? I mean, how do you think that's working for us? You know, right. absolutely not. We train people that, you know, when in charge, take charge. So, you know, you may be the senior ranking private, but you're now the senior ranking person. And so you own it. And it starts with leading yourself first. And that's, that's really where I got this kind of, uh, uh, idea of writing the book about, you know, everybody in this world has at least one person to lead, and it's you. Right. And if we each lead ourselves better, then the team will be better. But I totally agree with you that, you know, we have a command and control structure, you know, for a purpose in terms of rules of engagement and policies and programs and everything else, um, to, so that we have a very solid foundation. Why? So that when you are out there as a either an only soldier or the senior ranking soldier or you know the next the senior person gets killed or taken out that everybody will know how to lead from their position and and I think the creativity is amazing yeah. you know I but but you know as well as I do that there are some who are large and in charge oh yeah who, they think that now that because they're the commander the giant brigade division whatever that, okay, well, I'll act like I'm listening, and I'll let you feel like I'm listening, but I already know what we're going to do. And that, that, those, that's devastating, because yeah. you do not, kind of goes back to Jim Collins, right? right. You do not get the best results. Right. I, and I did see this in Iraq. Um, I, I had what I call the, the LU, the Lines of Operation meeting once a week. And the intent of that meeting, one hour, was to set an agenda where we would try to solve a particular problem. You know, let's figure out a way to do this better. And I got the idea from, from uh, you know, good to great. And we actually, and I've never met Jim Collins either, but I, I, I do hope to meet him someday. But I wanted, um, I, so I gave that book to all my brigade commanders, and I said, this is the mentality that I want us to have. This is going to be kind of our motto. People won't remember who we are, but they will remember that this command came in with that mentality, and that's how they went about changing the way we distributed logistics on a battlefield that we did base defense of our, of our, you know, all the bases. We had five bases that I was responsible for, et cetera. So I had this one-hour meeting. The very first one that I chose, Richard, was um, when my ops officer came in and gave me kind of a menu. I said, look, I think the most important one we got to get our arms around is the fact that we cannot have soldiers being killed out there doing combat logistics patrols who are driving empty vehicles. I mean, just just the thought of that makes you want to get ill. I right? know, right? Yeah. That, that, that you, you, you lose a soldier to the enemy, and they're driving an empty vehicle in a, in a huge convoy. So, so I said, that's what I want for the first meeting. So the, the very first meeting, everybody comes in, takes their seats. I look around the table, and the ops officer did a little introduction, put the agenda up there, and I said, okay, the meeting's over. And you know what that happens, right? When the commanding general says the meeting's over and all the colonels go, oh, my gosh, what did we do wrong, right? right. And I said, look around the table. You're all colonels around the table. How many of you drive a vehicle? How many of you are a convoy commander? How many of you give the, you know, give the battle update, the enemy threat, the safety briefing in the motor pool before they roll out? None of you. 
how can we ever get to the best solution if we don't put the right people around the table? I said, I want, I want sergeants in here. I want warrant officers in here. I, you know, I want first sergeants in here because they're the ones who are executing the mission at that lower level. And if we bring them into the equation, they will, they will, they know what's going on and a whole bunch of things happen from that. Number one, at the lower level, they realized the senior level was listening to them. When we came up with new procedures, they knew that they're the ones who came up with them. And so now we're executing them. We're putting them into action. What happens? They go back and go, well, if they listen to us on that, what other things might they listen? So they become part of the solution instead of part of the problem. They own the solution, and they go out and they execute it with much greater, you know, tenacity and pride. Right. Um, and it was, it was fascinating to watch. I mean... I loved it. Well, you're hitting at a, a, a point, you know, I just, I gave a presentation last week, uh, did some leadership training at a company, and, and this is what we talked about, and they, they called me and they said, you know, we really want to talk about bringing in these field, they're basically field commanders for this company, and it's like, we, we, we're we having problems getting them to think strategically, I mean, they're down in the weeds, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah, it's a common problem, every company has that problem, and, and I spent a whole hour talking about commander's intent, and uh-huh. um it's one of those things that I just kind of, even now, I kind of take it for granted, but it really is at the heart. And what you were talking about there really is, is, is at the heart of that, is is we at this level, especially at the highest level that you were talking about, the strategic level, you should solely be focused on the, the outcome, uh, on on what you want to accomplish, the outcomes, and leave it up to them to come up with the how. And and by you bringing in those, those kind of the people that are on the front lines, in a sense, you know, that's how it's going to get solved. If we think, if we're around a table thinking that we're going to come up with the plans and the, and you know, and that's what drives me crazy is like, we shouldn't be doing the detailed plans. We should be thinking about the intent, the outcome, the why, and the outcome we want to achieve and why we want to achieve it. Right. I mean, that's how you get the, the, the people to make decisions in your absence, because otherwise you just kind of make them impotent in the field and they can't, if they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, that's why, that's how you, you, you stifle initiative and that's how you breed stagnation and mediocrity in my opinion absolutely and that's how that's how you get the bad reputation of you got to control everything right you know? yeah and um so i i'm a speaker for their leader development group i don't know if you're familiar with them it's on my yep, website Thayer, yeah, but, uh-huh. um when i i so i i teach classes for them i keynote for them and i'm also a senior advisor and they bring corporations into west point and they have a great leader development program there and I have taught commander's intent several times. And I actually use this particular ex- example for commander's intent. Because I, we, what we do is we don't, I don't want to teach them what to think. I want to teach them how to think. Right. And, and so, so it's a great tie-in for thinking strategically but getting tactical results. And, um, you know, it's just fascinating. So I'm glad that you're doing that because there's a lot of goodness about um, the structure that we've had in the military and commander's intent and leader philosophy and all those things are very, very important. Yeah, I love it. You know, I'm looking at the, the clock here and, and we're, running, we're running short on time. One thing I was looking at, um, at your, on your website, you have a reading list and I love it. You know, we share a lot of the same, uh, the same books on our shelf. But it was interesting. The first one that you had was the Bible. And I love that you put that there. And again, I'm, I'm not the most churched guy. Right. And, and I even said this in my in my presentation to this group last week too. And it's kind of like when I talk about the Marine Corps and the lessons I learned. I'm not asking you to be a Marine, but I am asking you to look at this idea of spreading the leadership responsibility to the lowest levels of decentralized decision making. Yada yada yada. It's the same with the Bible. I think you know, especially as I've as I've gotten older and I looked at it, and especially as I became certified with Maxwell, 
he's the one that really kind of taught me this, that the there's no greater leadership ex- book than the Bible. There's so many examples um, of leadership lessons that you can glean from that. And and I think the leadership that we're all, that we're all craving, the one that we look that is so um, lacking in society, is this idea of service, sacrifice, and selflessness. And that's what the Bible really teaches us. Give me your thoughts on that. Uh, to- I totally agree. Um, you know, and I, you know, it's, the thing about the Bible that's very um, enduring for me is, I mean, in, in some church sectors it's called the living word. When you think about that, you go, living word. Why, why, why the living word? And it's because, I mean, think about how long the Bible's been around, and yet right. it's still one of the best-sold books. And all the stories that are in there. Um, and I, I like to look at leadership as leader-led legacy, right? So the legacy that Jesus left with his disciples, and, you know, the fact that he was a leader. But he was also being led by God. And and so, you know, I, I just think uh, the Bible has... You know the 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 best principles of leadership available to anybody, and you know when you think about John Maxwell's books, I mean, so many of his principles come right out of the Bible. Right. Right? He has he has the Bible that he's done the you know, leadership principles in. I actually own that one as well, and so I I like the concept of the Living Word because no matter how many times you read the Bible, you get something different out of it. Right. Why do you get something different out of it? I mean, I I always laugh about this. When I'm in church. You know, I'm like, okay, I've read that Bible verse a thousand times if I've read it once. And all of a sudden, the light turns on, and I go, that's what, that's what that means. Well, it's always been the same words. The difference has been my own heart and mind has changed. And that's why I think it's so fascinating about leadership, is that leadership ought to be new and exciting every single day. Why? Because of the people that come into your life, because of the knowledge that comes into your life because of your own responsibilities, you know, um, changing over time. And I think that's what makes the Bible even more grand, is that, you know, every time you read it, you get something new out of it, because your heart and your mind are, are coming from a different place than they were yesterday. Yeah, that's so true. And I think you look at the di- divergent styles, too. There, there's so many examples. That, and it to me, the thing I took out of it, there's no one right way to lead. I think Early on, I thought, yes. "Well, I got to be this right. way." You need to no. You need to be yourself. You need to be your authentic self. How you were made, and what, and, and capitalize on your strength. You know, Elijah was a loner. Moses was really insecure in the beginning and delegated a lot to a tight circle. You know, Peter was brass. John was kind of a, a, yep. a tender-hearted guy, and Paul was very dynamic, even though he's kind of small in stature. So, I mean, you can you can glean, but all of the men of great action and great character, right? And um, and they're not men the, and women. I mean, you can't men, look at all that's, all right. Women in that's, the Bible. that's right. That's right. That's right. And. But um, I think all the different leadership styles, and, and I'd go even a step further, um, because sometimes leaders forget that they're the ones who have to to change the way they're going to lead someone based on who they're leading, right? Right. I mean, some people who got hit over the head with a two-by-four and others, they get it. And so I think the other beautiful thing about that is not only just all the different people in there and their different leadership styles, which I talk about in my book in terms of we all have our own unique DNA, then dot, 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 we all have our own unique leadership style because of that. So you and I can share exactly the same ideals, right? Maybe even the same values. But we're going to execute differently because of our own unique DNA. Well, I think the interesting thing, too, is to watch how Jesus led. You know, sometimes he got angry. Yeah. You know, sometimes he, he sat down and, you know, and, 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 you know, washed the feet of someone. Or sometimes he just sat there with the kids on his lap. So, you know, from the highest to the lowest levels, 
he also changed up his leadership style depending on who he was leading. And I think we shouldn't forget that as leaders either. Oh, I love it. Gosh, Becky, I could talk to you for hours. I just love listening to your stories. I love listening. To the, I barely scratched the surface. i got to have you come back. There's more I want to I explore with you. Would you be willing to do that? Oh, absolutely. I would love to do that, Richard. How can people find you, and uh, how can people get in touch with you? You know, the best way is just to go to my website, BeckyHalstead.com, or Google Becky Halstead, and it's usually the first one that comes up. So I, I've got a lot of, is a Contact Becky tab on there, and you know, lots of people contact me through the website to either come speak for their company. Um, the book is on there. You know, it's a little, a little uh, photo sketch of the of the book, and you can double click it and take you out to Amazon. Um, you know, but I, I thank you for looking at the reading list, and thank you for bringing that to people's attention because you know those are just great books that have helped me along the way. And um, you know, so anyhow, the, the website's a little bit fun. Most people really enjoy going out there. Yeah, it's a great. Great website. Yeah, a lot of content. Great website. I encourage people to find it. I'll have links to this when I post this this interview. But gosh, what a thrill and what an honor. I'm so glad to have met you. And uh, I look forward to, to staying in touch with you and um, and maybe collaborating with you in the future. This is, this is good stuff. You're a great leader. Thank you. I appreciate that, Richard. Thanks so much. Thanks. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.